Hello and welcome to the ninth episode now of the Filthy Lip Out Golf Podcast with me, Kit Alexander, my erstwhile colleague, John E. Morgan, at home in the Southwest. Uh, and coming up a little later, we've got an incredibly special guest, uh, Thomas Bjorn, former Ryder Cup captain, 15-time European Tour winner, will be joining us from his hotel room uh, out at Valderrama, where the European Tour is this week. But just ahead of us, uh, him joining us, John, I mean, what an incredible week we've just had. And to be honest, I've got to give you some props now, because uh, I'll give you a little bit of stick from time to time. But since we started recording this a couple of months ago, when golf came back, um, if there were two guys you kind of been banging the drum of either side of the pond, it was John Rahm in the States and Rasmus Hogard over in Europe. And they both won this past weekend and they're playing incredibly. So I doff my cap to you. You must, you're looking very smug there. On the no, Zoom. I'm not. No, very no it's, more, Kit, it's more luck than judgment, bud. I mean, they, they got their lives in their own hands. But, but bud, I mean, it, all I can say is there's too much talent out there. I mean, you, you kind of go down the lines and you hear a strike and you, you see someone's demeanour and you just think it's a standout kind of feel or vibe that you get from them that has just got that little edge or difference that you, you always look for. Because most of us, me included, you know, will be on that range hitting balls and I'll look pretty much like everyone else, you know, striking it nice, doing my own thing, chipping, putting. But it's just some guys that just got a different kind of swagger or a different look or a different steely kind of wheel about them. And um, Rasmus definitely has it and Nikolai, his brother, who we will see because I do believe, I really do believe we're going to have a Molinari scenario. I really do believe it. I think one will come on later than the other. I think, you know, I think they're going to push one another along like brothers do. And we, we will see Nikolai. I don't doubt it for a minute we're going to see him. Up, up, right up there. I mean, he give put it this way. I mean, he gives Sergio a great run for his money last year at the KLM. So there's a there's a appetite for what we're about. We're going to see. It's just it's building consistency, isn't it? And belief, and it can't be easy for him, you know, watching his brother. But it's also a great drive. But then going straight over to John Ram. My goodness. I mean, I I, I still can't believe it. Now what I watched that last hour was some oh. serious TV. So serious TV. The, the most, it, I, I, was, I was up late watching it. My, my girlfriend had gone to bed early. She's very well behaved. And I very nearly just got out of my seat and started screaming. They were that good. It was, it was almost yeah. a similar feeling to watching that comeback at Medina a, a few years ago, where, of course, that was a whole session of play on the Sunday. But in as much as you had that, oh, I can't believe that's just happened. And then another layer of, oh, how did that happen? Like, it was just... It was, you wouldn't believe it. The type of thing that if you wrote it in a script, Hollywood would throw it back in your face because it's too unbelievable. The 43 yeah, exactly. foot DJ and then the 66 foot, uh, you know, how many balls do you need to stand there to, to putt either one of those? And the thing is, they didn't just grab the lip and just catch the edge. No, they went dead flush straight in the middle. Good weight, only going about a foot past, if anything, both of them. I mean, Jamie Weir's put it out on Twitter, and he said he reckons DJs is a better putt. Now, I mate, come on. No, I'm you not. Know, I'm like, for a second. But, but no, but when you watch DJs putt, right, and this is fair play to Jamie, right? You know, Jamie said it, he's gone, well, I kind of, I think it's that one. It did have a lot more different breaks, and it went down there. It was like a triple breaker. But then, add an extra, 
what was that, 20 feet? For 23 feet as well, though. God knows how far away from the flag, you know, taking the, you know, the bloody tear, coming down, straightening up, getting level and going flush into the flag for a whole out to win it. Well, you know, to, you know, to kind of just ask, ask the question of DJ and you just think, oh my God. I mean, under the circumstances, probably DJ, knowing he has to hold it to have a playoff, has pretty good grounding effect with the triple breaker it had. And, you know, I think Ram had a bit of a, a chance of it. I, I, in his mentality in these top players, you know for certain they, they you know, they, they're expecting, he's expecting DJ to hold his putt. You know, from 30, 33 feet, whichever. I, I, I heard the interview with John afterwards. He said that. And then the way he described the putt, it was like it was a really easy putt. Our oh, DJ only just needed to start it on the right line and the slope would get it there. I was like, but it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, that's in his head, he's like justifying that he was expecting it to be made. But I'm like, you, no one, 90% of him was going, well, I've won this tournament already. Like, as much as you're trying to be professional. I just, I just think he's an absolute class act, but I mean, I just hope his, hope his body. I mean, he's got a short backswing, which I like. I, th- I, I believe that will help him have a, a longer career. You know, you're not overdoing yourself, overstretching, over, overworking your body and your limbs and stuff. Because you know, we put it through relentless thing. But he's a powerful guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and he's still very young. So we got another ten years at least of him. A serious top top and top rest, level. Oh, and, and I mean, I'm being I'm being a bit too probably cruel there, but you know, yeah. I mean, I'm just you know, I'm just thinking that the best years are coming and they're coming thick and fast. And yeah, I mean, it was lovely to see Dustin Johnson up there. I just well, his win the previous week was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it just was, and uh, in a good you know, way. I just in a great way. Thirty under shouldn't win a golf tournament, but. But I, I, I love the scrambling. I love, I love the flair that a tough course gives you. I, I love it that par one under, two under wins it. You know, I love that, that kind of score. But then that's, I think you don't, you don't really know that unless you're a proper, you know, you are a professional golfer on tour. You know, it, it does, you know, you can get birdies and eagles. We can all do runs. We can all shoot eight unders, ten unders, random tracks. We'll have our field day on a golf course at some stage or another. But, it's if the course will allow you to do that. Uh, when a course doesn't allow you to do that, the mindset is completely different. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure Thomas will tell us that later. But uh, you know, I think um, you know it's it's brilliant. And I tell you what, I'm sure Thomas will tell us about Danish golf as well. I mean, what, I, I thought I just wear this one in preparation to show. You've show got your made in Denmark uh, jacket on there, John. I know you, you've worked that before. Very. Very, I'm surprised oh, yeah. you've not dyed any bit of your hair that's left red, which was slightly disappointed as we. Well, I was going. I was going to put this one on for Thomas when he comes on, you know, and you you just call me a pillock like he normally does, but you know he's. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a good egg man, and um, yeah, obviously when he done his uh, done his walk, which we'll obviously talk to, but you know after he had a nice little chat with uh, Klopp and uh, James Milner and. Yeah, Sir Tom, uh, you raised God knows how many millions for a charity. And I, I don't know what Tom's, uh, you know, come up with, but I got him a slab of my mate's cider. So it's supposed to help with your legs and your feet. So uh, when we come round to asking him, uh, I think um, hopefully I'll get a pretty decent answer off him. But... Um, West Country Cider definitely has healing properties. Just before we do speak to Thomas, obviously we're going into the Tour Championships on the PGA Tour now with this... Uh, 
unique, shall we say, scoring format where DJ is the FedEx Cup leader, starts on minus 10, then Rahm's on minus mm. 8, and so on and so forth. Um, as a professional golfer, where do you stand on, on this format? It works. At the end of the day, it works. It's an even kind of kill. I mean, he's got an advantage. He should have an advantage if it comes down to a point scenario with, you know, tournaments all laid out and, you know, it's a fight for like a little miniature order met like we've just had on the UK swing. Um, And really, honestly, it puts him in a controlling position. I'm I'm glad. I I dread to think what the the scenario would have been if it was uh, Raman, you know, if Dustin Johnson would have won last week. you know how far, how far ahead he would have been, especially on form as well. So it's made it a bit tighter, a little bit closer, which is good. In two shots, by being top of the order of merit, there's still two shots. This is the thing that I find a bit ridiculous. There was a, a situation where now John Rahm could beat Dustin Johnson in the final two events of the season purely in stroke play, and not win the whole thing. You know he's beat him mm. in a playoff this weekend, just gone. He could actually over four rounds, take one stroke fewer than DJ. DJ wins it. He finishes second. And even though, because he had that two-shot head start, and and Ram could have won the last two events and not take the whole FedEx home. I just, if you're going to have a scoring system like that for me, it's got to be not an official tournament. Not like the guy who wins it is going to get a win and going to get world ranking points for a win. And he's probably Mm. not going to have shot the lowest score over 72 holes, there's a very good chance. You know, last year they kind of got lucky where I think the guy that did shoot the lowest score over 72 holes anyway happened to win it because they were there or thereabouts, if I remember rightly. But it's just unfair. Golf handicaps are for amateurs like me, not pros like you and the top players on the PGA Tour. And I get that it makes it slightly easier to understand that there's not these the FedEx Cup list going on alongside the tournament. But frankly, I hate it. <laughs> as a <laughs> And I hope well, that mate, the powers at BC yeah. sense and get rid of it because it makes a mockery of the, of the tour championship as a tournament. Well, I, I don't particularly see it that way. I think the, the players have got used to it. And I think, you know, um, yeah, they're all right with it, mate. But I mean, each to their own, you know, no one's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're drawing the board, you know, I mean, how many years have we been doing it now, the FedEx, you know, and this has been the kind of the way it's done. I mean, it's, it's it takes a bit of getting your head around, but the boys are used to it. Um, I mean, yeah, everyone's different, but I know what I was going to speak to you about, Kit. What was it? It was, um, I, I know what's going to get a real big bee in your bonnet because you're obviously you're on a crest of a wave right now. So I was going to speak to you about Povov, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, she wins the AIG Women's Open, and she, you know, we're all thinking, right, five years exemption. What is your opinion on this? And I could imagine you could fly off the handle and have a complete hissy well, fit on this what? one. I've seen there's been a lot of vitriol and a lot of crazy stuff going around uh, on social media, some very, very definitive views from a lot of people in favor of her mm. getting a five year exemption. So. And I get that. And initially, before I kind of really looked into it in any great detail, I was, I was in that camp. I thought, yeah, she's won a major. Why shouldn't she get the five-year LPGA exemption? And then Mike Wan, the LPGA commissioner, released that video. That's it. To go. It and was I, a good video, wasn't it? It was a good video. video. And I think no one can argue that Mike Wan is right fantastic stuff. commissioner. The players like him, the fans like him. He's up front. He's a modern, forward-thinking guy. 
And he offered total clarity. And all the way through the video, he said, look, you can, it's fine if you disagree with me, but this is how it is. And this is why it is that way. And I think, you know what, as a leader, he's got to make decisions. Sometimes they're hard decisions. And, and he's gone, this is why. And, but it's okay if you disagree. And actually, the yeah. more I listened to the video and the point he made, which was essentially that this isn't the first time this has happened, where a non-LPGA member has won a major and therefore only got the rest of that season and then a full following year as their exemption. It happened last year when Shibuno, the Japanese girl, won it. It happened when Inji Chun won a major a few years ago. And I think perhaps one or two other of the Koreans over the last five or ten years. Um, and he was kind of making the point that we didn't change the rules for them. So we're not going to change the rules mid-season now. Yeah, Why so like he said, though, he's going to go back to the drawing board after the season's done and have a little I look think, at it. I think it will get changed at the end of this season when they do that. As he said, they're going to look at it. And I think the chances are it will get changed in the future. But mm. I kind of agree with him that you can't just change the rules midway through a season just because something happens. You can dislike the fact that that person's only getting a one-year exemption, essentially. And I do dislike that fact. But that is what the rule is. And I yeah. do find this, everyone calling, oh, yeah, but why can't you make a special exemption for this and for that? And, yeah, but where does it end? Everyone knows what the rules are at the start of the year. Whether you like them or not, that is how the rules are set. You play through the year, and then if things don't go well and things like this crop up, you address that at a later date when you would do anyway in the off-season. So, I yes, agree. it's unfair on Popov. Yes, she absolutely deserves a five-year exemption for what she did. That win was incredible. Her golf on the back nine was exemplary. She was so oh. good for the pressure. Um, and I disagree with the fact that she doesn't. But I agree with Mike Wan for standing his ground and saying, look, this is how the rules are now. This yeah. has happened before and we haven't changed it. So we're going to remain consistent and we're going to look at it again at the end of the year. And he was clear about it. And actually... I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. A little feel a little sorry for Popov, but fair enough. That's that's professional golf, and she's got her chance. And I'm sure if she plays like she did, she'll do exactly what those other ladies I mentioned did, and play well enough to keep their cards on the LPGA and extend their careers in America well beyond that initial exemption that they received anyway. So, yeah, hopefully everyone wins out of it and it gets changed. But me too, mate. I, I, I loved how she conducted herself. I love that she wore her heart on her sleeve. And, um, yeah, I just hope she gets what she deserves, you yeah. know, at the end of the day. You know, you never know what's around the corner. But the other thing I've got to ask you, mate, how good a Bristolian golfer is, by the way? Yes. Well, just look at the amateur championship. Yeah, I mean, mate. what an example they've had to follow um, someone like yourself. Uh, but yeah, two Bristolian lads in the final of the amateur championship. Incredible. Joe Long coming out on top, getting the exemption for the Masters, the Open, which will, of course, be next year's Masters and now. Um, but incredible, wonderful stuff. I mean, you're in and around Bristol your, your whole life. Did you know these two boys were, were that special? Were you much aware of them? I've heard of them, uh, never got to play with them or meet them. I've probably seen them in passing and said hello. Might have shook one or two of their, both their hands, but I know Chris knows them very well. Chris Wood, that is, uh, being a county player for Gloucester. I was obviously Somerset. Uh, probably would have known them a little little bit better if I was a Gloucester boy. But, uh, but you know, Joe, I mean, I mean, it's a shame 
when there's so much on the line, there has to be a runner up, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, because there's so much, there's so much possibilities and I don't mean to rub it into the runner up, but you know, it's just, you know, you get your, your chance to play the masters, make a name for yourself. You get a chance to play USPG, uh, US open, sorry. And the open championship. I mean, the doors are massively ajar and a massive chance when you're the winner. And Joe, I just don't really he grabs it with both fans. I mean, I watched the final. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a shame just his putts ran by runner-up and he was, it just didn't happen for him. Um, but uh, he kept really composed, Joe, and uh, worthy winner. Great golf course, Burkdale. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, looked really composed. Give me that kind of vibe. I mean, he's probably heard this before. He looked a, looked a bit like uh, the old uh, Eddie Pepperell vibe he was rocking. And plus he had the mentality, you know, meaning he's very calm. Very calm, like he, you know, he was not getting rattled at all. Um, I mean, it's hard to get rattled when you're playing well, I know. But, you know, I mean, it's, he, he looked very calm, composed, um, looked like he was ready to win. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, what was his dreams like, eh? What was his dreams like when he went to bed? My good, knowing that you're going to go to these three amazing venues. And, you know, you're going to get, now you're going to get, Sponsorship, you're gonna the doors are gonna open, you're gonna get invites to European tour events, maybe PJ tour events, who knows? And you know, I mean, my goodness, the experience he's gonna get now is huge. It's huge. It's truly a potentially life-changing victory. It does open doors that obviously these guys were elite amateurs, they had hopes of turning pro and pursuing a dream anyway, but that fast start now, as soon as he does turn pro, there's gonna be opportunities and doors waiting for him that there wouldn't have otherwise been so yeah truly a life-changing victory for joe long yeah we've had the english english amateur you know won by bristolian as well so yeah bristol don't know what it's what's in the water the bristol channel the river it's it's what's in the water it's what's in the side probably what's in the cider so uh yeah yeah good shake yeah but yeah i I mean chuffed to bits mate i think uh i think bristol's absolutely buzzing brilliant hey here he is the old great Dean, Thomas Bjorn. Welcome to the Filthy Lipper with me, Johnny Morgan and Kit Alexander. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, good, good, yeah. Strange times, but uh, yeah, got on my first flight yesterday for seven months. Come from a lovely, lovely tournament at the Belfry. I bet that brought back some good memories as well. You know, being back there again for the first time in a while. Yeah, it was nice. I think it was time to get out of Britain. I've, I've had six weeks of top food, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I was ready to try something else. But it's, it's been an amazing return for us to golf, to be honest. And, and obviously, Celtic Manor, the best. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, but just grateful to be back playing golf. It was, uh, it was becoming a bit too much for everyone. Spain's amazing. Like it, it really is amazing. I mean, it's always amazing when you come down sort of Grande and every time you drive into Valderrama. I mean, it's an amazing place to come to. Obviously, lots of great memories from back in '97 when I was only what 26 years old and playing in a Ryder Cup team. So it's, but it's always a place you come back to and go, wow, it's uh, it's still amazing. Is the course in great nick again, uh, Thomas, as always? I mean, it's, we know what Valderrama is like. It's like our, I mean, you could say it's like our Masters in a way. I mean, it's like a flawless golf course. I mean, you always play well around it. I've I seen you there with Whitney on the bag the other year and you played well again. Yeah, it, it's, it's in amazing condition. It, it's just, it's kind of that 
this, the good, the great thing about Valderrama is like the greens have that kind of once you chip onto them on your pot, it just has that one or two extra feet of roll where you go, oh, they're a bit quicker and there's a little bit more movement. They they done a lot of work to it, uh, so they they cut the trees back so it's not so overhanging, which is. I guess needs to be done once in a while just to kind of keep it uh, keep it playable. But it, it's, oh, I mean, it's up there in my top three of golf courses in the world. Uh, I know it's not everybody's favourite, but it's certainly up there for me. Um, I'm I'm with you, Thomas. I I I look at that golf course and I would say if there was any, I can't pick a fault. I can't, and I don't pick a fault. But I wonder what the course would play like and how crazy it would play like if you had like no rough. Like you cut it the length of the fairway everywhere in amongst the trees and what kind of shots you might be able to come up with. Do you reckon that would be a good idea? Oh, it would be fun to try. I, I, I always <laughs> said that. You know, you, you, we talk about today, what, what do you need to do to golf courses to kind of, uh, you know, obviously length is, a, is an issue in the game in, in today's golf. And we talk about what, need, what needs to be done. We saw at Olympia Fields that, you know, growing the rough and make it really, really thick is one way to go. I think on certain golf courses, um, I think rough probably helps the scoring a little bit. It depends on, on what kind of venue you're looking at because when you look old, you know, they never really have any rough. It runs into the trees, it runs into the bunkers, it runs into the trouble. I think if you played Wentworth without any rough at all and made it firm and fast, now all the trees would come and play. You know, where... Nowadays, when you play Wentworth, the rough actually stops the ball from going into real big trouble. Uh, so, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, be, it could be fun to do at Valderrama. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's an amazing golf course to play. It's, uh, it just shows you a golf course that's not really any length to it um, can still do it in, in the modern game. And uh, every, like I, I spoke to Martin Keim on the way down and he's like, I said, oh, I'm surprised you're playing as much as you said, but it's Valderrama. Why would you not want to play? <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's, a, that's a, probably the best. Mm-hmm. No, that's probably the best kind of credit you can get as a golf course to play as wants to play. Thomas, you alluded to it a little bit a minute ago, but Valderrama this week, the Belfry last week. Fantastic memories of the Ryder Cup for you. Looking back on on your Ryder Cup experiences, what are the moments that have stood out for you? Oh, you know, I, I've been lucky. <laughs> I've been involved in so many different roles, and and you know, as a player, you know, I only played it three times. But as a player, I was a rookie in '97, uh, backbone of the team in 2002, and I was the old fella. Uh, kind of just hanging in in the, in the last spot in, in 2014. So, so I kind of tried all the roles as a player. I've seen a lot as a vice captain. I've seen a lot of uh, different different things. I was obviously standing there on the, on the green at Medina in 2012. Um, and then captaining in 2018. And, and every, every single one um has been so special to be a part of and you know to obviously the captaincy is 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 something that the two year project that you that you're part of and and you, you live your own thoughts and 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 all your 
all the things that you've gone through in your mind and learned over the years. Now it's your time to kind of get those things out. Um, that's very special. I will say that playing in that 97 team, coming into a team with Sevilla as a captain, but still had the likes of Wuzi and Feldo, Langer, Monty and Oli uh, in the team, you know, was was pretty cool to, to be a part of and and get that vibe of that generation that did so much for European golf uh, through the 80s and, and early 90s and watching. So to be part of that was uh, was cool. Um, but the whole journey has, uh, Ryder Cup-wise, has been amazing to be part of. I, I learned so much from captains. Sam was a brilliant captain in 2002. Um, learned a lot from Monty. Learned, you know, so being in, involved and and we all talk about like 2012 is obviously the one that stands out. That's a that fantastic Sunday, and and we were all part of something that was like we didn't think could be done. So that's the one that, that most people look back at. But you know, the team in 2004, the way they played. I was there as a vice captain. Just the way they played. I mean, to blow America out, eighteen and a half, nine and a half in America was was pretty cool to watch. So, so there's so many. Every, everyone has his own little role and and his own little thing. So, so it's difficult to uh, to pinpoint one. Mm-hmm. See, I even look back at Hazel team where the one I was part of where we lost and I just thought it was a magnificent week, but we lost, you know, but it was the American crowds was really, really into it. And it was, it was just so many people there. It was, it was crazy to be a part of, but, you know, so you look at them and you go, well, they're all special. They're all cool. They're all, um, they're all different. <laughs> um, but from when you, when you related to how the public sees it, well, Nothing will beat Medina, uh, the Sunday in Medina, and I, I, I doubt that much will beat Paris from the way that it was set up as a as a spectacle for for the crowds and and the way that was a main, brilliant venue for it. I mean, it was built if there was a golf course in the world that was built for the Ryder Cup. That's it. So it, it's uh, yeah, they're all unique. Well, I was on the edge of my seat for that though, uh, Thomas. I was on the edge of my seat, and I just want to ask you. One quick one, Ryder Cup in 97 at Valderrama. What was the scariest hole to be on, you know, to try and hit a shot and pull it off? While I drink my proper drop, by the way. How you doing, bud? <laughs> well, I, I, so, like, I, on Sunday, playing in the singles, and so we like, on, on Saturday night was kind of like there's such a difference between playing we always talk about it you know you're out there with a partner the first two days and the team is kind of very close together uh, and then you get out in a singles and and it's so different everybody talks about how different it is to be in a singles you're on your own doing your own thing and and I I was playing Justin Leonard in single four and 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 I just won 15 to go all square and I come up on 16 and 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 play down the hole and I'm like there's literally my mum and dad and two other people around, and I'm thinking, what's this by the cup thing all about? There's nobody there. I thought, this is kind of weird. <laughs> I, 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 and then I teed off 17, and, and walking up 17, I was like, hmm. And then you get up on the top of the hill in 17, and then all of a sudden you see the green with all the people behind, and you saw, wow, this is a, this is a crazy place to be. Um, and it, it's one of my, like, 17 at that time, the, the layoff area was like, it got from really tight 
and then it kind of widened out be, behind the bunker. And I remember Justin Leonard hitting uh, his second shot just over the bunker into the fairway to a perfect yardage. And Martin Gray, my caddy, and I were standing there, I was standing in the fairway, and he said, well, you just want to hit it like seven or eight yards past his ball. And I said, well, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> Justin Leonard is the best wedge player in the game of golf. And I'm not and you ain't my bad either. after him. So we, I said to him, I want to be, I'll be hitting, I want to hit this third shot first into the screen. And he's like, he's like, well, you do realize you've got to hit it into a seven, eight yard gap to do that. But um, yeah, it was, um, it was a scary feeling walking up over that hill uh, at Valderrama. And how, how <laughs> tough is that green? How tough is that green for that third shot or second shot coming in? Because for folks at home, that's on the bucket list to play Valderrama. How difficult is it? Uh, back then, it was uh, back then they changed it a bit over the years, but back then it was it was crazy because once you spun it off that that top tier, it was pretty much certain to go in the water. So it was, uh, yeah, back then it was it was pretty tough. It's still a tough shot. I mean, it's there's certain shots in the game of golf that uh, that gets your attention uh, as, as you play, and you know that they never seem that difficult in practice, and then you get that tournament, and they're extremely difficult that one 15 15 and augusta so third shot there is one in tournament golf is there's all of a sudden it seems like that green is about three three steps deep uh 17 yeah. at sawgrass only a wedge or a nine nine but for some reason when you get there in tournament golf you're like mm, that green looked a lot bigger yesterday yourself, couldn't you properly you know, yourself it, on it's that just one. yeah you can i mean so it's like it just kind of it just gets your attention like it's quite cool and you know it, it's not that difficult when there's nobody around and it doesn't really matter if it goes in the water or not but when it when the scorecard's in the back pocket and it all matters well then they become extremely difficult so i was looking at the rider cups often feel that each kind of rider cup and each captain has its own sort of character its own personality if you were to look at 2018 and how you handled it the team you had what would you describe as the personality and the character of that Ryder Cup? What made it so special and what enabled you guys to win so well? One of the things that I thought, when you look back at it as a, as a captain, you look back at other captains and you kind of think, well, where can I pick up certain things and, and what can I do? Well, I knew that the players would see me as quite intense. Like I'm, I'm, I'm quite headstrong as well, so I didn't want them to come in and and I wanted to surprise them a bit with, you know, people kind of just getting into it, knowing that a lot of people were tired. They played, just come off the FedEx Cup in America. Six of them had had come out of America, and so I wanted them to feel relaxed. And 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 I think probably a few of them would have been scared in the lead up into it that how intense was I going to be with it and how much was I going to stand up and, and give the big speeches and do all the things. So I wanted to surprise them a little bit with how relaxed I wanted it to be. I wanted to, and, and their families, I wanted them to make sure that they felt that they were comfortable in, in, in the environment and we just wanted to have a week of, and I, I wanted a week of just uh, where build up to it. And that was something I picked up from Paul in, in uh, McGinley in 2014, where I thought uh, that was something he did extremely well. 
I really was really relaxed early in the week. And then obviously as the intensity builds itself. You don't need to as a captain to add to that. That'll come by itself. And the only real thing I asked of them uh, early in, in the week was I wanted them to play 18 holes on Tuesday. Which didn't go down great with with everyone. I have to say, there was a couple of players. Uh, well, the two ones that turned out to be the most successful, they were moaning good bit on on Tuesday afternoon. They did not want to be on the golf course, Tommy and Francesco. But uh, we got yeah. them round. But that, that's what I was kind of my like oh, goal thing was that that's the only thing I ask of you. I want everybody to go home Tuesday night and play the whole golf course, so we know what we're talking about. Other than that, you can do whatever you want. Like it, it was very. Because that, that's just like, and I didn't want anyone to just, some, yeah, it worked out right. But some of them are like, oh, they're excited to be out there. They think it's great. And some of them are just like, I'm too tired to play golf. And the worry is as a player through the years, when you're tired, you start hitting pretty shitty golf shots. And then you, you don't want to yeah. have that in your mind. But I, I really wanted to, to push them all through. Where did that Mollywood partnership come from? Was it something the stats suggested or did the players themselves put it forward or had you seen something that you thought this is a partnership that, that could do great things for Europe? That partnership came out of uh, a couple of too many gin and tonics on a bar in, in <laughs> the Bahamas, I think. I was sitting at home one day and on my phone went off and there was a text message from, from Francesco saying... Me and me and Tommy would like to play together. And I was like, well, that wasn't really in my mind and, and all that. So I called them up and they were on holiday together in, in, in the Bahamas. And, and I think they had a few drinks. Uh, and obviously two guys sitting on a beach uh, starting talking about a cup. They fancied, the, they, I think they fancied taking on the whole world. Um, but going back to the serious part of it, it was like I ran the numbers on them. And they, I had a, I had different plans with both. Like I, I had some completely different plans with uh, with Tommy. Um, so I, I, I had to run the numbers and kind of speak to the stats guys and and kind of how I felt about it. And there was nothing. There was nothing in the numbers. There was nothing in in what we thought that was against it. Uh, we felt like Tommy might need somebody that drag him into the first Ryder Cup. So that was the conversation we had. Um, but Francesco was in unbelievable form, like unbelievable form. And if there's one golf course I was going to put Francesco on where I thought he was always going to perform, that was the golf course. So so we, we looked at it and I thought, I thought players that want so desperately to play together. So we went with it. I think if there's anything that's important in a partnership, it's holding those two putts that, uh, that Tommy holds on, on 15 and 16, and it set them off. Uh, they were off and running, and, and they believed, and, they, and you could see how much they believed, but you could also see when it came to Sunday that there was nothing left for either one of them. Francisco carried through on his form, uh, and I Tommy was done. Like there was just nothing left, and uh, and understandably so. You don't really want to, as if you think about how much golf they had played coming into it. You didn't really want to play them five matches, but there was not really any reason to stop them once they were going. That's awesome. 
Yeah, how big a moment was that Fleetwood putt on 16? Because I was right there, stood in, in the media bit, opposite, just across the pond from that as it went in. I, I tracked it the whole way, saw the celebration. Um, still don't know, he didn't like pull a groin or something doing that. But as a moment within the whole Ryder Cup, how important was that? Not only for the momentum of the team, but just for the energy as well. He almost became an Ian Poulter for a moment there and grew into that role throughout the whole week as well. For me, it wasn't about the belief of, of us. It was a belief about the place. Like, yeah. it, it, we started out all right on Friday morning. We were doing okay in all the matches and then all of a sudden, all four matches turned on their head and all we were going down and there, were, there was... There was a... You could feel it in the crowds. It was a different crowd than we normally have in Europe. It was in France. There was a lot of expectation, um, especially from the local crowd. So, so there, there was um, you could there was a bit of feel in that crowd that this I could feel that this if this doesn't something doesn't turn our way, this could this could actually go against us. Um, and and tiger like tiger, if you look at it and go. There was one personality that was bigger than every everything else for that crowd, and that was Tiger. Tiger being back, like the French crowd took extremely well to him, and and they would they. It was not until Tommy hold those pots that it became European. It was yeah, uh, there okay. was all there was a bit of the kind of like people wanting to the, the crowds wanting to see Tiger. There was a lot of lot of stuff around that. When he held those that part, the whole place all of a sudden turned very European. That that kind of feel that we normally have with European crowds uh, when we play at home came through. And then when they went out in the afternoon, there was a completely different. I didn't. I was saying there wasn't a support for the team in the morning, but there was a completely different atmosphere. There was a belief in the crowds. There was the anticipation was gone. Everybody thought, well, they can do it. And they kept pushing. And these two became so popular with the crowds for what happened in the morning that when they were on the golf course, everybody was excited. And then, you know, some of those guys that, came, that weren't playing came out in the afternoon and, and played extremely well. Rory turned his game around from morning till afternoon. There's so many things that happened on Friday afternoon, Friday afternoon for us. I got the crowds going and going from being three and then all of a sudden going home five, three up in the evening. Yeah. That was a completely different change in, in, in belief, not only within the team, but with everyone. And and Saturday became a day of where you could just feel that this was going our way. It was, uh, you know, this team was going to stand up to everything that was thrown at them, whenever it was thrown at them. And they did. They were, they were brilliant. Well, from one uh, amazing achievement to another amazing recent achievement, Thomas, the famous walk from uh, Wentworth all the way to Celtic Manor, you mad man. How are your feet nowadays, my son? How are your feet nowadays? And did the, the proper drop rough cider help you out and feel like Michael Flatley for five minutes? I challenge you to do the same, Johnny. I challenge yeah. you to do the same. I was going to say, um, what would it take for you to do a bigger walk? Yeah, I don't know like really what to from, say to that. 
<laughs> I, I don't I know, know. I, I know. This was bringing golf back. This was golf for good. This was doing the right things. Uh, but if I was going to do something again, I, I would involve more people in it, I think, from, from within the sport. I think that's, uh, that's something that might lie out in the future. But, but right now, my feet don't feel like... Can I ask you about the mighty I'm Rasmus Hoygaard? Um, he's an exceptional talent, Rasmus. Exceptional talent. I, like you, when, you've, when you've been around for a long time, you see players where you go, I walk down the range, and obviously in the 90s, you walk down the range and you was looking at Tiger Woods. Unbelievable. You look at Sergio from a striking perspective, unbelievable. You look at Rory, you look at John Rahm. This is close. This, uh, I'm not saying that he's by no means a Tiger Woods, but he, he's, he's some talent and he's got a great head on his shoulders. Great head on his shoulders. And he's got the amateur career behind him to you know, know what it's like to be under pressure, know what it's like to having to deliver on a Sunday. Um, he's 19 years old. He's, he's won both his tournaments in playoffs. I mean, playoffs are nerve-wracking for the best of players. Yeah, you know, play playoffs are a big, big win. Like they, they, they give you a lot of satisfaction. Playoffs. Um, so he, he's a real deal. His brother is the real deal as well. He's, uh, he's probably finding it a little bit difficult at the moment to just kind of watch it all happening. But, but he's a real deal as well. And and they just they got a long career ahead of them and. As long as they don't get ahead of themselves, uh, it's all there for them in, in the future. And that's the important thing. They're 19, they're kids. And that's what you, exactly. you've got to look at. And, and we've got to be careful that we don't expect too much because they're going to have their ups and downs. Uh, but right now, he's, he's in cloud nine. And, and good for him. Like It's fantastic to watch. It's, as a country, we're so, so excited. I mean, he wins on Sunday. And, yeah, and... And Emily Emily leads the LET and wins on the latest European tour this weekend. You know, for a country with five and a half million people, it's pretty it's pretty mad that we got so much talent going on at the moment. But it's it's just great to watch. And you had two guys, you had two guys in the British amateur quarterfinals as well. Yeah, it keep they keep coming. Like we we got we got like the federation in Denmark. I mean. You gotta tip your hat to them. I mean, I, I played amateur golf and and did all the things as an amateur, and it was, it was not, uh, it was not a great place to be if you wanted to do something with your golf back then. But the way the job they've done and what they what they're achieving with limited funds and and just pushing players out there is is unbelievable. So you just gotta be be lucky at the moment. A small countries like ours, we had it in football in the eighties. We had a lot of great footballers and they kept yeah. coming and now we have it with golfers. You know, small countries like ours have in in certain sports we have generations where it just keeps going mental. And we're lucky that it's golf at the moment. Thomas, I think it's fair to say you had a pretty large helping hand in that in ploughing the, the furrow on the European Tour for the Danes. You had 15 European Tour wins individually yourself, as well as all of the Ryder Cup experience and success that we've spoken about. Of those individual titles, which one really stands out for you as a favourite, the one you're most proud of? I think, that my, I think that the questions are different. The one I'm most proud of is definitely the first one. 
Like winning mm. at Loch Lomond in 96 is, for me, no. you know, no Dane had won on tour growing up in an environment where that was out of reach for you. Like everybody said, that, well, Danes don't win on tour. And even golfing Denmark never believed that it, it could be done. Uh, that was the environment we grew up in. Uh, so that's the one I'm most proud of. Uh, the one that was the most fun and most special like, was the one against Tiger in 2001 in Dubai, playing with him in four rounds and, and beating him down the last. Was, you know, that, that, that's for the few, well, that. that few to experience, and especially at that time, like 2001. Yeah. We, we all talk about arguably the greatest player that's played the game. Uh, Jack yeah. probably has the greatest record and, and might have that for, for eternity. But I, I think a Tiger as a player, I think is the greatest guy, the uh, greatest player that's played. And for the greatest player that's played the game, we all talk about the years 2000, 2001, yeah. where he was at his best. And, and to, to take that on uh, in a place that was my home at the time, uh, yeah, that, that was uh, a whole lot pot on 17. And I remember I could hear literally the the roof coming off the clubhouse with with all the members being in the clubhouse cheering me on and trust me there, there weren't many of those cheering against tiger at that moment in Taiwan <laughs> world golf so it was a pretty for me that was a cool experience it was something that a relationship also grew with him in a way of of uh, a lot of a lot of conversations a lot of respect played a lot of practice rounds with him at major championships uh, was fortunate to to be involved in a time where we saw the best golf that's ever been played being played right in front of us, um, yeah. and that that that's something that you can't explain it to the young players today, and and neither should you. They've got to live in their time and what's ahead of them. But you can't explain to them how different it was. But it was like. I said to somebody today, it was like putting Michael Jordan in a Danish basketball league. Like it, it was just, there was, it was just, it was so different. He was, he was so much better than everybody else. You know, we all kept talking about just hope he doesn't have his A game this week. If he has his B or B plus, well, then maybe we have a chance. But that was, uh, you, you go into the majors in a year and think, well, there'll be one where he's not there. But the other mm. three, you probably don't have a chance. Well, that's pretty crazy to think if you grow up in an environment like that. So you literally had one chance every year to win a major. Where in today's world, you have, you know, you have four chances when you go into the majors. But he was just so much better than everybody else uh, at that moment in time. Thomas, just before we let you go, as I know you're very busy and we appreciate all the time you've given us uh, today. There's one more question I've got to ask you. What hurt more, the blisters from the 210-kilometer walk or getting the winning Ryder Cup score tattooed on your ass? I say on the ass. That was a, that was a dreadful experience. <laughs> a promise is a promise. <laughs> I, I, it's such a, I curse Ian Poulter and Rory McIlroy that they remember I said that. <laughs> I can't I, I honestly was a throw-off... Uh, just right off the top comment in the locker room and once I was sitting in that press conference and when when Rory brought it on I was like oh god I know where we're going with this and I was just like and there was no turning back like there was no it, because every interview I did about the Ryder Cup for the two months after the Ryder Cup 
that was either the first or the last question I was asked about the tattoo, if I had it yet. So I just like, it, it was never gonna, so I had to go and do it. So, um, yeah, I, I think... Was it, was it, is that the funniest thing that happened at the Ryder Cup or was there something else lurking that you've never told us, told anyone yet? Is there another funny story lurking, Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> you'll, have to ask the, you'll have to ask the player. You'll have to ask the players that. But that's that's uh, that's for you them to come out. But I I don't uh, I don't tell on I'm tell on anything. <laughs> all right, yeah, cool, man. But mate, well, uh, I just wish you all the best this week, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been oh, no brilliant. No worries. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for Thomas Bjorn, the great Dane, 15-time European Tour winner, former Ryder Cup captain as well, for taking a bit of time out of his week in Valderrama to speak to us. Some incredible insights there. John as well, great to catch up at the start about what's been going on in the world of golf and get your input on that as always. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please remember to like and subscribe, leave reviews, those five-star ratings as well. It all helps us get found by other golf nuts like us. Uh, that is all we've got time for this week. Follow us on Twitter at Filthy Lipout and we will see you again next week. <laughs>